If you enjoy our work, please consider supporting us on Patreon. We are also on Twitter and YouTube. For links to these services, visit us online at imsuperserious.com. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to I'm Super Serious. My name is Quam Sec. I'm your host. And over there in his little booth is Marcus DeWitt. Say hi to our listeners, Marcus. I can't hear you, man. Can you speak into the mic? Oh, 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 wait. I, I, I forgot. Uh, you don't have a mic. Wow, I, I, I just realized that. Okay, okay. I'm not sure how a simple microphone for Marcus escaped the plans for the studio when I set it up, but somehow it did. I'm sorry about that, Marcus. I'll get you a mic soon. Don't worry about it, man, okay? I, I, I'm sorry, okay? I, I, man, I feel bad for him. It's all good, though. It's all good. Anyways, sitting just a few feet behind me is my producer, Ethan James. His contractual agreement on this podcast is to not make a single peep during the recording of this show. So, unfortunately, you're not going to be hearing from him during the show. He has to remain still and silent. The reason for this is due to a few issues he has had on other podcasts, of which I'm not allowed to discuss. Maybe I've already said too much, actually. Okay, well, Ethan is giving me a nasty look right now, but he is also giving me a thumbs up. I'm not sure how to process this. So, according to his contract, any sneezes, coughs, sniffs, or any slew of verbal content that escapes his body uh, during the recording will have to be meticulously edited out in post. However, if your sound system is sensitive enough, you might be able to pick up his shallow breathing in the background, though I have to admit he is an insanely quiet breather. Not even my sound pressure meter can pick up his breathing. But it may be different for you as a listener, especially from the fact that I'm using a condenser microphone right now, which are extremely sensitive mics. And these mics are great at picking up distant background sounds. You're going to need some ultra ultra, ultra high fidelity speakers to hear anything out of him in this podcast, unless our post-production editing pro Quincy manages to catch it in time. You know what? Even if you download uh, this podcast in a lossless format, which honestly, I have no idea if that's even possible. Am I taking this too far? Probably so. Let's continue. So, so if you are able to do that, you might be able to pick up on some sounds from him. But uh, you're going to have to turn off all sound sources within a highly controlled perimeter 
of at least 4,000 feet. That's just a guess, an educated guess. Now, you might have to get the local police involved, you know, to stop traffic nearby. Plus, they're going to have to go door to door to get people to turn off all electronic devices and mechanical devices in their homes which is going to be impossible to do in the first place, and then get those homegoers to stand completely still and hold their breath while listening to this podcast to prevent any extraneous sounds from disturbing your acute listening experience. Furthermore, you're probably going to have to get in touch with the FAA to ban all air traffic above your location, and to go the extra mile, contact NASA, NORAD, and the United Nations to halt any and all space activity above your location. Uh, okay, now that's going to uh, likely entail getting the International Space Station to take a detour around your area. <laughs> You're going to have a really, really, really tough time accomplishing that you're gonna have to have some good connections to some good governmental connections uh, okay okay i'm probably taking things too far but you never know these days you know uh, if you're gonna get serious about something get super serious that's what i say anyways let's get back on track here uh today's episode is about the transatlantic mezzanine bridge this bridge is the most incredible, largest, and most expensive engineering project ever accomplished by mankind. I, I know, that's crazy, right? I have chosen this uh, subject for today's podcast because this bridge was just opened up to the public last week. Okay, so this bridge, what it does is it connects New York City to London, okay? Just just close your eyes and just think about that for a moment. Okay, okay, if you're driving, keep your, keep your eyes open, but if you're doing something that doesn't entail active eye action, just close them for a moment. Imagine a bridge stretching from New York City to London. Incredible, huh? I, I, I'm just blown away at this. So let's go into how this incredible feat of engineering was even achieved in the first place. So the bridge was born in the mind of a single individual by the name of Jonathan Michelson. Jonathan grew up in the Bronx in New York City and lived a pretty tough life initially. He was an orphan whose dad died in 1941 during World War II. Also, his mother passed away after getting struck by a car while crossing the road one cold February morning in 1942. Jonathan, at eight years old, ended up being adopted and raised by a wealthy family out of Tribeca, which is an upscale neighborhood in New York City. Almost a decade later at, this is about 17 years of age, he meets a girl named Oliver visiting from London. They met at a restaurant in New York City. As you could probably imagine, they fall in love. 
They fall in the deepest of love imaginable. So I, I, you can probably guess where this story is already going, how it's tying together, how this bridge was even conceptualized from the get-go. Yeah, it's love. This bridge is here because of love. Love built the transatlantic mezzanine bridge, which took 50 six years to construct. And here's what's incredibly mind-boggling. The bridge ended up costing over $6.2 trillion U.S. dollars. That's about 4.2 trillion British pounds. That's some expensive love right there. Can you believe it? Can, can you believe love accomplished this? Okay, okay, I'm sure a lot of y'all can. Marcus, man, why are you giving me that weird look? You, you've been in love, right? No? Wait, what? Okay, aren't, wait, you're married, Marcus, right? Yeah, exactly, you're married, so, oh, okay, so hold on, hold on. So, you're saying you're married, but you have never been in love? So, do you not love your wife? Oh, okay, you do. Okay, that's a relief. Oh, it's a joke. Oh, you. Th oh, 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 you think you're funny, Marcus? <laughs> wow, mm -mm, man. I I hope your wife doesn't hear this episode. Goodness gracious, man. That's a that's a that's a rough joke. Not not okay. It was pretty good. Okay, you you got me. So I guess you win? Okay, whatever, we're getting off track here. Anyways, back to the mezzanine bridge. So Jonathan's love, his love knew no bounds. But why, might you ask? Why was a bridge necessary to bridge their love? Why can't he just take a plane to the UK or a boat? They got boats, right? There's there's boats out there, you know? Those things that go in the water, the boats, man. Mm, well, he has a pretty severe fear of both, believe it or not. So, okay, okay, so why can't he just flat out move to the UK or get the girl to move to the States? He'll just have to put up with just one flight or one boat trip. I mean, come on, they can just sedate him if it's really that bad for him. So we do not have an answer to those questions, unfortunately. All, all we know of is the outcome of this situation, which is this bridge. There were only a few interviews done of Jonathan and his history and how the bridge got created uh, before his passing. So we don't have a massive amount of information because the interviews were pretty short, but we have a little bit of information to go off of here. So let's get back to it now. So planning and initial funding for the bridge was greatly assisted by Jonathan's parents. Now, his parents had very strong stakes in multiple iron ore mining and transportation companies. So once these companies got wind of this idea and once they heard that multi-millions of dollars were already being tied to the project, they decide to put their hand in the pot. So what ends up happening is thousands of companies in both the U.S. and U.K. end up bidding exorbitant amounts of cash to be involved in this monumental project. <sighs> in the end, uh, roughly 60 to 70 companies 
or chosen from both sides of the water. Now, the inception of the bridge started in 1954 while it dwelled in an extremely complicated planning phase between 1957 and 1963, only six years before the first shovel broke the earth. In July of 1964, on the U.S. side of the bridge, or on the east coast of Staten Island in New York City. Now, during planning, many important aspects of the bridge were, um, what's a good word to use here, uh, planned. There we go. These important aspects were things such as the bridge being a four-lane bridge, which has two wide shoulders on each side enough for emergency vehicles and so forth we'll get more into that later on also a rail and hyperloop system was going to be added to the bridge during construction so all of this puts the bridge's width at 84 feet or about 25 meters now, what's interesting is the rail system was later scrapped. It was determined to be way too expensive to add a train rail system, especially considering the insane amounts of weight. The length of the bridge. Okay, this is pretty cool. The length is at 3,100 miles or about 5,000 kilometers. The connecting side, as we discussed previously is Staten Island and New York City. It's connecting to the UK on the other side. So it connects to a town called Porthcrawl. Okay, now Porthcrawl is not necessarily near London. We're talking about 150 miles between Porthcrawl and London. So what was done was an on-land expansion, sort of a, an express expansion system was added to connect the bridge to actual London itself. Pretty, pretty fascinating stuff, huh? Anyways, awesome facts aside, I'm going to turn off the lights for a moment. I'm going to give you a dark fact. It's a sad fact about this bridge, but it's, it's important to know. So the lights are out now. 603 people died while constructing the bridge. Now, the period of construction was 56 years, so this is over 600 people who have died over the time span of 56 years. Now, thankfully, all 603 workers have their own individual memorial at the center point of the bridge that all drivers can see as they drive by, and they can even stop and pay their respects so that's nice so let me turn the lights back on Zaboo. there we go beautiful that's it folks i am out of time thank you so much for listening for exclusive episodes subscribe to our patreon we can also be found on twitter and youtube for these links visit us online at i'm be well and good night